Hallelujah. Well, I want to greet every single one of you here in Durban and in Belito and those watching on Faith TV. Welcome to CRC Durban and Belito. Great to have you in church this morning. We're all excited, obviously, to be overclapped yesterday for a rugby team and we can't clap for the Christians this morning. But we're going to clap anyway because we're going to welcome everybody. If you're a first-time visitor, whoever you are, this morning we welcome you. And while we're standing, I want to say this. I am grateful for everyone who is invested in our past. I'm grateful for every person that is engaged in our present. And I'm going to still say this till the day I die, that I believe in the future of the church, of our church, that we have got a great future in the name of Jesus. And there is no limit to the God that we serve. We serve a limitless God. And there's no limit to what God can do when we live with limitless faith. I'm going to say this while we're standing because it's not just for you. We come to church, yes, to be empowered. We come to church, yes, to be equipped. We come to church also to get our minds renewed. And you are here, but we need to talk to our other brothers and sisters that seem to skip and are uncommitted. But if we're going to treat church as optional, our children, our youth will treat it as unnecessary. Call me religious, call me legalistic, but we as Christians need to prioritize God's presence. We have to prioritize His church. We have to prioritize His purpose, soul winning. And I really want to start this morning's service by saying there are massive needs in our communities, not just one area, all over our city, all over Belito, and we can't live as Christians with our head in the sand and say it's not our responsibility. Every week we read about shootings that are taking place in our city, in our neighborhoods. And then I hear people saying we're praying. Well, we, what are we doing more than praying? How are we going to reach those gangsters? How are we going to reach those thugs? How are we going to reach those people if we're not engaging with them? And I really want to pray a prayer this morning that we as the church... We as individual Christians would feel the burden of the call of God upon our lives. If you come out of gangsterism, you understand that language, reach out to the gangsters. If you come out of some other area, God doesn't uh, uh, let, bring you through something so that you can sit back and say, oh, by His grace, I'm saved. I can talk to anybody who's a party goer, a sports person, a business person, a drunkard, uh, whatever you want to call it, because I come out of that. I got saved out of that. If you were a business person or are a business person, reach business people. We've got to get this religious thing, get off our religious cloud. There's a world that is broken, a world that is hurting. And I don't even want to repeat what one of the articles that was sent to me this week, but how how, how deep based and debauched, if that's even a word, um, um, the world is becoming, and we as Christians are sitting on our holy cloud saying we are okay. No, we are the answer. We carry the answer. And things are going to get more confused in this world, but let me tell you, the church is what's going to stand. The church is what's going to be blessed, and you and I make up the church, but we can't be half committed and half uh, 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 whatever. So just lift your hands. Father, I pray that you would come in your power here in Durban, Belito, even across the television waves. You would speak to individuals and remind us
through your spirit what we were saved out of. And remind us that we have a responsibility to reach those that were in our world. It's not good enough that they hear that Glenn has stopped drinking or parting or, or sinning. They need to hear the message of Jesus. It's not good enough that they hear he's a holy roller. They need to know why he changed and why he was transformed. They need to experience the power of Jesus. And so I pray this morning as we lift up your son and through your word, Father, not only will you bring healing and salvation to individuals in this place, but Father, you would activate us to do what you've called us to do, and that's to be soul winners in this world. We thank you for your presence this morning, Lord. We thank you for your unwavering love for every individual. And no matter how difficult a battle we are facing, I thank you this morning, not only will you bring hope, God, but you will inspire and activate us to follow your word, to follow your presence, to follow your leading in the name of Jesus. And everybody who agreed said amen and amen. You may be seated this morning. Great again to have you. And I'm going to say this. Um, we've stopped broadcasting live on social media, on Facebook and YouTube. We do load the message up on Monday or Tuesday in the week after. But we've decided, or I've decided, that for a season, whatever the season is, uh, we will use the television platform that we have, and then we'll use our YouTube and Facebook in the week. But we need to get people back to the presence of God. There's no substitute for the church of Jesus Christ gathering together as the Bible teaches us. And I spoke to some young people this last week and I said to them, um, um, do you like online church? And that's the generation that sits on their phones all the time. And they said to me, my daughter even said to me, Dad, I won't do half night prayer on my phone. And Dad, I'm not going to follow. Let's be honest, Dad. I don't follow uh, when I'm watching on television. I'm watching, on my, I'm watching things on my phone. Dad, it's not the same. So as much as technology was a great substitute, technology cannot replace the corporate presence of God as He ordained it to be. And so I'm pushing this thing hard right now. At the same time, I know many of us are going through battles, and I'm going to preach a message of hope, but we've got to realize what is happening in our world. And we can't hide in our holy bubble. We have to be activated by the Word of God, by the presence of God, and be led by the Holy Ghost to make a difference in this world, and to engage the sinners, and to engage the lost, and to engage the backslidden. So this morning's message is quite simple. The boat, the battle, and the bread. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God didn't put out the fire. He's not going to put the fire out for you. He put Jesus in there with them, and they came out unsinged or smelling like smoke. It's not about God stopping all things that look bad. It's about knowing that God is with you and having the confidence that He will deliver you and having the boldness that He's going to use you. When we find ourselves in a battle, when life happens to us, it's critical that we stay in the boat. And we never forget the bread. So I'm following on from last week. If you've got your Bibles with you, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Mark 6, 45. Just a small scripture. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat. And go before him to the other side to Bethsaida. While he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. And now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea. And he was alone in the land, in, in, in the, on, on the land. 
Now watch this, verse 48. He then, then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. In other words, he saw them in their battle. You know, sometimes we find ourselves in a battle, in a struggle, asking God a lot of questions, and it sometimes feels like God is not there. Sometimes you ask Him questions and it feels like you're just praying to a ceiling. There's, there's, there's no uh, uh, answer to your situation or answer to your battle. And sometimes you can't even find the hope that you need. He saw them straining. He saw them in the storm. He saw them in the battle. He, 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 he observed them. God can see everything that we're struggling with. Straining with. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And watch this, I like this. And would have passed them by. His plan wasn't to meet them in the middle. His plan was to meet them on the other side. I don't know if you look happy this morning or not or what you're going through. Um, but we all doesn't matter who you are. We are all fighting battles. We can watch the Springboks play yesterday afternoon and they can be our heroes for those 80 minutes. But here's the reality. Every Springbok is fighting a battle. You can look at a successful business person and think they've got it all together. Every business person who seems to have whatever you want to determine as success and they look like they've got it together. You can look at somebody who's parting the night away and they look like they've got it together. The truth is, when you put your head on a pillow, there is some battle that you're fight facing. There's some battle that you're fighting. It's never like it's plain sailing. As long as you are in these earthly bodies, you're going to be fighting some battles. But our peace doesn't come from success and our peace doesn't come from achievement and our peace doesn't come from a badge. Our peace comes from the presence of God and the enemy's plan is to get you out of the presence of God and the enemy's plan is to get you out of the purpose of God. I mean, God's not worried about you if you're just a neutral Christian. He's worried about you when you get hungry for God. When you serve God. When you yield to God and you obey God, when you're led by His Word and you follow His Holy Ghost. Side note. What bothers me, what bothers me is the lack, and I'm generalizing, of Christians' commitment to God, to His church, the institution He created, the only place of safety in, in the world, and to his purpose. And, and, and Christians almost like want us to accept that it's okay. I mean, I engage with people all the time. Wherever I am, I engage with people and I challenge them because I might not have everything together, but I've got a little understanding of who God is and how much he loves us. I've got a little understanding of, of, of the church that he created to build, to, to fulfill his purpose, which is to win the lost. So just by knowing those little things, I realize if we're going to see God impact this world, we're going to have to be committed to Him, number one, committed to His church and to His purpose. I mean, I came here this morning 
and I'm driving here. I don't know how many guys on their motorbikes I saw on a breakfast run this morning. I, I drove past a, a place and they're having some sort of fair this morning and all the flags and the cars are already queuing up to go to buy stuff. And, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I know maybe many of those people going there are unsaved. But I can guarantee you there's some Christians. They're saying God understands that we're not at church today. God doesn't mind that we're not at church. They'll have their own battles and they'll cry out to God in their battle. But the truth is, when they're living life, they forget about God. I guarantee you, if we go to the beach today, there are more people walking on the promenade of Durban and Umslanga than there are sitting in our churches this morning. There's probably more people walking on the promenade and lying on the beaches than there are in all the churches in Durban this morning. And many of those are people that would call themselves Christian. Because in our country, we say we are 75% Christian. Then how are we allowing our education system to be perverted by outsiders? How are we allowing the things that have been taught in our schools as they are if we are Christians? How are we Because we're Christian by name. We're not necessarily Christian by conviction. I speak to members of our church and some of them say, I say, where have you been? I haven't seen you in church for a long time. Oh, pastor, you must understand that my kids have got sport on Sundays. Really? I must understand. Then I say to them, okay, I'll see you tonight. No, pastor, uh, you know, look, it's been a long day in the sun. Got to get ready for school next week and, and, and work next week. Listen, we're compromising all the time. And the only time we're not compromising is when we're in a serious crisis that we need God's help and then we sort of make commitments to God and we're not carrying them through. You know, I think of it like this. If my job is to win the loss to Christ as a Christian, then I should be in, Christian, in church on a regular basis because I should be bringing my world to church and helping my world understand God's love for them. This is not a heavy sermon. Just I'm trying to stir you up a little bit. Because when I hear about the violence in different communities, and like I heard now recently, there's a lot of gangsterism happening in, I think it's Newlands East, and I'm thinking to myself, what are we as a church doing about it? Now we're praying, Pastor. Praying. Great. And? 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 What we tolerate today will dominate us tomorrow. We have to get back to the Word and we have to be obedient to the Word and we have to be led by the Holy Ghost. And I'm telling you, there are people sitting here that God has spoken to you about doing something and you're not doing it. He saw them straining at rowing. It'll get better now. For the wind was against them. How about starting a gangster's ministry? Huh? I mean, here's the truth. One time we had a, 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 a group of prostitutes that used to come to our church. I don't know if they still come to our church, but there was a group of pro prostitutes. And the person told me, oh, don't worry, pastor, you won't recognize them because they're classy prostitutes. Then they came back to me and said, they want to know if they can tithe. And I said, yes, they can. Oh, gross. How can you use that money? Because money is immoral. It takes on the hands, uh, it takes on the nature of the person whose hands it's in. And the Bible says, if you know your Bible, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So when you start tithing to God's, king, to God's church, then what ends up happening is your heart is drawn towards God's kingdom and you get delivered from all your hojos. Oh, it's just so logical. I'm bright. It's the same with drugs. People think it's only the chemical that, 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 that holds you in bondage. No, it's what you spend your money on. 
And they said to me, these prostitutes are coming to church, blah, 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 blah. So I got a naughty personality. So I asked them this question. Have they ever seen any of their clients in our church? Of course, I used to joke. We'll have the, the prostitutes sitting on the ground. When we get our gallery in one day, we'll have you know, the clients sitting on the top. And then they told me, yes, they once saw their client, one of their clients. And their client was, hallelujah, hosanna, hallelujah. And I thought, now we've got a church. Because everybody wants us to glow in the dark. Everybody wants us to be an aquarium. But we're actually a hospital. And people come in here broken. And they experience the love of Jesus. And it's through that journey that God changes and transforms them. And empowers them and equips them to change their world. And some of you are like uncomfortable now. Well, maybe you shouldn't be doing that thing or visiting that place. Because that person who owns that place came to church this morning. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking by the sea, and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, and cried out. For they all saw him, and were troubled, but immediately talked with them, and said to them, Be of good cheer. When we come into God's presence, we shouldn't be sad, we should be cheerful. Be of good cheer, it is I do not be afraid. Whatever the battle, do not be afraid. Whatever the circumstance, don't be afraid. Because God is with you. And when God comes into the equation, when Jesus comes into the equation, things will change for the good. Because He is good. Verse 51, Then He went up in the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed at themselves beyond measure and marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves, about the bread, because their heart was hardened. How many hard-hearted Christians are running around the world. When they crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there. And when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him, ran through the whole surrounding region and began to carry on about on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard he was. And when, wherever he entered into villages, cities, or country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. Can I tell you one of the signs of becoming a hard-hearted Christian is when you don't care about the lost and the hurting and the broken and the backslider. Listen to me this morning, please, family. The boat, the battle, the bread. The disciples are in the will of God. He sent them across to the other side, and they find themselves in a storm. Sometimes you're in the will of God, and you find yourself in a storm. And Jesus knew about the storm and could have stopped the storm, and so I want to encourage you this morning that no matter what state you find yourself in, your contentment is found in Him, not in your circumstances. And that we need to be centered by what's in us, Christ, not moved by what's happening around us, crisis, circumstances. Because the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. But in verse 48 it says, Then He saw them straining, at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart, verse 52, was hardened. 
He saw them straining. He would have passed them by. The funny thing is when you read this account in Matthew chapter 14, we read about Peter who got out of the boat, about Peter who walked on the water to Jesus, about Peter who lost sight of his focus on Christ and began to sink, about Peter who cried out to Jesus and Jesus lifted him out and walked him back to the boat. Now I want us to be clever this morning. Do you remember in Matthew 14, Jesus said, if it is you, tell me to come to you. It was Peter that asked Jesus to tell him to come. Amen. Matthew 14. It wasn't Jesus who saw the boat and said, hey Peter, you bright, clever, bold disciple, climb out the boat and come to me. It was Peter who said, listen, if that's you, Jesus, tell me to come to you and I'll, I'll come to you. And Jesus said, come. And he got out the boat and he walked towards Jesus. And then he began to sink. And, and, and then Jesus, he cried out to Jesus and that's God's mercy. And Jesus picked him up and, and walked him back to the boat. Now watch this. In Mark 6, there's no mention of Peter walking on the water. Thought. Who says Peter was right? or better than the other disciples by getting out of the boat. Remember Jesus saved him when he started drowning. Grace and mercy. Maybe in Mark 14, when Jesus said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Had more to do with the fact that it takes faith to endure, to get to the other side, to struggle and strain to a place of victory than to stay in the boat. Maybe little faith possibly refers to him because he was running from a struggle. I mean, Peter, Peter had that tendency. He denied Jesus. He ran from him when he was crucified. Do you know how many people have left our country in the last while? Easy to find out. Do you know how many people have left our city since the riots last year? Easy to find out. Do you know how many people have left our church in the last two and a half years? When I say left our church, I'm talking about left our church to leave our city. It's over 1,400 people. Not left our church because we weren't a good church. Left our church to leave our city since the beginning of COVID. Over 1,400 people. What were they looking for? A better future. They didn't believe that where they were was going to give them what they wanted. Now, I'm not against them. I'm asking a question to each one of you. Doesn't it maybe take more faith to stay where God set you, where God's put you, where God wants you, and He wants you to row to the other side? He wants you to get to the other side because then you stay in His will. Then you save a testimony of the goodness of God. And then you have a message to share with others. Listen to me carefully. I'm not criticizing anybody that's moved away. I'm asking a question. I'm not criticizing Peter for the fact that he said to Jesus, get out, uh, if it's you, get, tell me to get out of the boat and walk to you. And he did and he walked on water. I tried that. I just got saved and I went to the back garden. I read the scripture that said uh, that the things that he did, you can do even greater. And I tried to walk on a green pool. It didn't work. 
When I was a young Christian, I tried that many times because he said it. The point I'm trying to get to is sometimes we want to, we want to manipulate Scripture to our benefit in a certain circumstance and we want to manipulate in another circumstance. But isn't the truth be told God's given us a word, God's given us a promise, God's given us something we've got to endure the process of? Stay in the boat. Stay in the boat. What does the boat symbolize to me? The boat symbolizes the church. Because often when God wanted to save people or teach people, something significant, a boat was involved. Noah was put into a, like a boat called a basket on the Nile. Not Noah. Noah was building an ark. Who came up with that one? Moses was put on the basket, a basket on the Nile. I got ahead of myself. Jesus began his preaching from Peter's boat. Paul on his journey to Rome. They stayed in the boat and they were saved. So my question I've really got for you this morning is, have you fought hard enough? As Christians, we've had to endure a lot over the last while and our resolve has been tested like never before. And some people have jumped ship and some people have wanted to jump ship. But the storms are not the reason for us to jump. We have to stay in the boat. We have to stay connected to God and His presence and to His purpose. And the boat today for me is the local church, Noah's Ark of today, where God has placed you and your feelings and your emotions and your circumstances and your hurt and the floods and the riots and your comfort and your laziness shouldn't determine whether you stay in the boat or not. The Word of God should guide us and the Word of God should lead us and we need the church. And oh, if you love God and love His church, jump to your feet and give Him some praise. Thank God that He said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it in the name of Jesus. I mean, the Bible tells us that the world is going to get darker and darker, but we are to rise lighter and lighter. The world's going to get darker. It's going to get more confused. But God promises those that are in the church, those that stay in the boat. Psalm 92 verse 12, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in Him. I will build my church, Matthew chapter 16, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church. It's in the Bible. And you talk to people all the time and they, they want to tell you that to be a Christian, you don't need to go to church. I want to ask you this question. How can you remain a Christian and not be connected to the church? What about visiting a church? I'm thinking of one member, good person, like him a lot. I'm giving his gender away. I nearly made a joke I shouldn't have. But I like him a lot. But he tells me he can't come to church because, because of his kid's sport. And I think to myself, you're a good person, but how long is it going to take before you're not serving God the way you should? 
because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. You can't be an island Christian. You can't serve God. I've watched people that have made it in life and succeeded in life, and success is not money. Success is obedience to God. It's because they were planted in the house of God. I'm not ashamed of God's church. I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed where God has set me in as a member. I'm not ashamed. I'm planted. I'm passionate. I bring my world to church. I invite my friends to church. I share with my world the goodness of God, and I bring them to church, into the presence of God where they can meet God. It's the church. It's the church. Psalm 23 verse 6, He says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'll dwell in God's presence. I'll dwell in His institution, the church. Have we not watched how the world has changed where, where Sunday was the beginning of the week where we'd come and worship together. And, and then I remember as a young guy, a younger guy, uh, um, how the first time they started playing cricket on Sundays. Can, can you believe this? In a four-day cricket match, they used to take Sundays off. You used to play Friday, Saturday, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Monday. Then they felt, well, not everybody's Christian, so we can start playing on Sundays. I remember for the first time that when I was a younger person that, that bottle stores weren't open on a Sunday. Some of you don't even know that bottle stores were ever closed on a Sunday. And, and the problem is that they got serviced by Christians. Come and work with me this bit this morning. I wonder how many Christians, because most pastors have got a joke like this, but how many Christians aren't in church today because they were at the rugby yesterday and they're tired today? You speak to pastors sometimes and they say, well, how was your tennis? And I go, no, great. How was yours? No, look, we had a test match this weekend. So? So? So what? Yeah, but, but you know it's like? People, you know, friends and family come over and they watch a test match and they okay, go, And? And they're tired. They've got to get ready for work on Monday. So they take, really? I mean, Bismarck Dubussy was in our church for 12 years before he moved to France. And no matter what game they played, if he was in Durban and they'd have aftermatch parties, he didn't drink much, but, 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 but or didn't drink, I don't think, but whatever. But he would go out with the guys afterwards. And if he got home at 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning, hey, he was dressed up in his long pants and his smart shirt and he would be in church at 8 o'clock. Not a problem. Why? It might have been religious tradition, I don't know. But the reality was, no matter what time he went to bed, he had a priority, he had a meeting with God at 8 o'clock or 8.30 in the morning. I'm not compromising. It wasn't because there's load shedding and because the taxis or the buses. It wasn't because the economy. Listen, we've got to get rid of all those excuses and begin to prioritize God and His house. And I know you in church this morning, but I want to drill it in deep that it becomes a commitment. It becomes a, a conviction that as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. I'm going to be in church come rain, come shine. I'm going to be in church come bicycle race, come running race. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord and I'm going to be an example to my children. And I'm going to love on them. And I'm going to teach them the ways of the Lord. And I'm going to show them what the Lord has done. That God was with me on the mountaintop. And God was with me in the deepest, darkest valley. And no matter where I was and no matter what I experienced, the Lord, my God, will never leave me nor forsake me. 
Because there's many a Christian that doesn't live with that conviction. Don't live with that conviction. Only time you want to serve God is when things are good. You can't serve your grandparents' God. Your mommy's God. You have to have an encounter with God. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, I've only got a few minutes left. Verse 18, God sets the members in the house as it pleases Him. You think you got here by chance this morning? God orchestrated it. And maybe I'm irritating the heck out of you. Good. Because it's the irritation that's going to make you make a decision. When last did you sit with your husband, your wife, and say, listen, the example we're sending to our kids is not good enough. This once every three weeks, once every two weeks, Christianity is not the, not the deal. Huh? Too many excuses. Yet we want God to deliver us from the poor of the bear and the lion. We want God to deliver us from Goliath, but we're not willing to commit to Him. I want to challenge you this morning, my brother, my sister. It doesn't matter what battle you're facing. It doesn't matter what struggle you're going through. If you stay in the boat, you will see how God will get you to the other side. You will see how God will deliver you. You'll see how God will strengthen you. You'll see how God will make a way where there couldn't be a way in the name of Jesus. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus instructs his disciples to gather up the leftover fragments after feeding 5,000 men, which was about 20,000 people. In verse 42, it says, So they all ate and were filled, and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fish. I don't know why they couldn't have left the fish behind. Because I don't like fish. I don't eat fish. But I am a fisher of men. Now those who had eaten... The loaves were about 5,000 men. We don't hear why or what they were to be used for or if eaten. But they were told him to pick up the loaves and the fish. In verse 51 it says, Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed at themselves beyond measure and marveled, for they had not understood about the loaves, the bread, because their heart was hardened. The Bible says they did not understand about the loaves. So a question again. Number one, stay in the boat. Number two, could the bread have been on the boat as a reminder as to what God has done for them? It says they forgot because the hardness of their hardness of hearts. Psalm 23 verse 4, the Bible says, Yay. I love this scripture. God's got a sense of humor. Try and say yay without a smile on your face. Just bump your neighbor and say yay. Come on, Grant, say yay. Yay. You can't put a, you can't say yay without looking like a smile. Yay! <laughs> Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Yay! I've been tested, Pastor. Yay! I'm going through a tough time. 
Yay! Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, for I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. Oh, I'm trying to tell somebody, we cannot forget about the goodness of God. We cannot forget what the Lord has done. We cannot forget that God has delivered us from the poor of the lion, the poor of the bear, that God has delivered us from Goliath. Oh, somebody who was lost and now is found. Somebody that was blind but now can see. I mean, when David faced Goliath, what's the first thing he picked up? I mean, they try to put him on into Saul's clothes. 1 Samuel 17, they try to put him into Saul's clothes. Saul's clothes. And, and, and that's what religion does to us. They're always telling us it's a method. It's a method. If you bow, if you curtsy, if you cross your heart and hope not to die, if you tell a lie, if you score a try and you score a goal, you must do this. What does that mean? Where is that in your Bible? It's like putting on Saul's armor. David says it doesn't fit me. It's like me trying to put on James's jacket. I told you last week, with all the craziness that's going on in this world, I identify as skinny. So don't laugh. They put on Saul's armor, and it was uncomfortable. So David says, no, I can't fight him in your armor. I have my own relationship with God. I learned to get to know God while I was looking after my father's sheep. I learned to get to know God in desperate situations. I learned to get to know God when it didn't feel good, when it didn't seem good, even though I was walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But I had my staff with me. And my staff reminded me what the Lord has done because I've engraved and made memorials. And I can show you where God helped me kill the bear and the lion. And now I can bring down Goliath because faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of God. He didn't forget the bread. The first thing he picked up was not his slingshot and stones. The first thing he picked up was his staff. You see, we start losing our battles when we take our eyes off him. We start losing our battles when we start giving more glory to man and to to the things of man. I want to remind you today that if God has done it before, He can do it again. The Bible says, and I've really got 45 seconds to close, that Jesus is the bread of life. That's why you need the Word. It's through the written Word, the Bible, that we discover the living Word, Jesus Christ. John 6 verse 35, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe, and all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at that last day. It's through the written Word that we get to know the living Word, Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness 
did not comprehend it. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh, Jesus, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, and the, glo uh, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Listen, I want to challenge and encourage you and exhort you and persuade you and argue with you in a positive way this morning that we must never forget who was with us in the boat. We must never forget that Jesus and His Word are one. And I want to say to you this morning, listen, God loves you. And it doesn't matter who you are and what you've done. And it's not we're looking at sinners now. The obvious sinner, the gangster, the druggie, the adulterer, all of us. Because in the story of the prodigal son, there was one who took his inheritance early and ran away and went to go and live a life in the pigsty. And the Bible says he came to his right mind and said, my father's servants have better than what I'm getting, so I'm going to go back to him. Excuse me. But there was an older brother, religious, in church every single Sunday. And he was jealous of his brother when he came home. I don't know who you are and what you're going through. But I've been alive long enough to know that each one of us faces battles. And the solution to our battle is Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through Him. That He has made a way for us. And not only has He made a way for us, but He's got a way for us to survive and thrive in this world. And it's been planted in a church. And it's following the leading of the Holy Ghost. And it's seeking Him daily. So I want us to stand this morning. Here in Durban, there in Belito. If you're watching on Faith TV, maybe in your home. Your life is not right with God. I'm not asking you to act like it is. I'm not asking you to say, I've got it all together. But you're here today. And as I'm speaking, you realize, I've been going to church all my life, but I've lost that relationship with God. I don't live with that total conviction that God is who He says He is, and God can do what He says He can do. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, I've never given my life to Jesus. I've never surrendered my heart to Him. The Bible says, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You don't get into heaven because you're a nice person. You don't get into heaven because you sing in the choir. The door of heaven is open. The gate of heaven is open because you have a relationship with Jesus and your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I want every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around here in Durban, there in Belito this morning. I'll say it again. God loves you. It was so overwhelming when that revelation hit me that God loved me. 29 years almost. 7th of November, 29 years ago when I gave my heart to Christ and experienced His peace and His love. I thought I was good. I thought I was a Christian. But I never knew Him. While every head is bowed, every eyes closed, and believers are praying here this morning, they're in Belito. Your life is not right with God. You've never given your heart to Him. You have, but you've wandered away. Maybe today you find yourself in a place where you've got one foot in the church and one foot in the world, and you realize you, you're influenced one day by the world and one day by the church, and you realize it's time to come back to Him. My brother, my sister, God loves you. And one thing God cannot do is force you unto Himself. The Bible says He knocks on the door of your heart, but you've got to open up your heart to Him and He'll come sup fellowship with you. 
While every head is bowed, eye closed. Come on, that's you this morning. You want to give your heart to Christ. You want to come back to Him. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are. Where are you serving in this church today? If that is you, quickly all over this place, slip up your hand high. Say, yes, you're talking to me, Pastor. Pray for me. Clue me in your prayer. They're in Belito. Just say, you're talking to me. Pray for me this morning. Just put your hand upon your heart. We're going to pray a simple prayer. Just pray this prayer with us. Just say, dear Lord Jesus, today I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died for my sins, that you rose from the grave to give me life. And I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart, to be my Lord and my Savior. And today I receive your forgiveness, your love, your peace, and your promise of new life. Guide me, guard me, keep me, and use me for your glory in Jesus' name.